0: Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast Extras. In this episode, we talk about the tech of concerts and what has changed over the years. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain.
1: So for those of you that listen to the podcast frequently, or maybe are tuning in for the first time, uh, you may not be aware that Dennis and I are actually pretty good friends outside of the Ninja Lane environment. In fact, we do a lot of stuff together. And the most obvious of that is gaming with uh, Borderlands 2 or, or whatever our game du jour is. But occasionally we get the opportunity to do other stuff together. And just a couple of weeks back, we had the opportunity to go to a concert together. And I thought it might be fun just to give you another side of the Ninja Lane team and, and talk about that a little bit and maybe see if there's a technology tie-in that we can use for you
0: guys I think there's a lot of technology in there
1: well there is the concert experience has changed a lot over the years so just to kind of maybe start us off I talked Dennis into going with me to see KMFDM
0: ah yes that's my first time going there I want to say I was a fan of the music Mm -hmm. and now that I've gone to the concert I have an enriched like of it you know, I I can actually recognize songs now, <laughs> which is kind of cool. So for folks that are listening, I am actually a
1: huge fanatical fan of live music. And although it's been a little harder since I've gotten older, I used to frequently travel to see bands that I liked in bigger cities and saw nearly everything that came through town here, which meant that it wasn't unusual for me to be going to a concert every weekend, sometimes more than one.
0: Yeah, they have concerts around here all the time, especially now that they have the, uh, well, which it's now it's the Knitting Factory, Uh but before that they had the Big Easy, and then there was that nightclub called Bogies, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you always had the BSU, which is the big stadium, Mm -hmm. and now the Idaho Center, which is even a larger venue.
1: So to clarify, we are centered in Boise, Idaho, or Meridian, Idaho area (laughs) for Ninja Lane, and Dennis and I have the nice advantage of knowing each other from pre-Ninja Lane and outside of Ninja Lane, and because we live so close, uh, it's given us a good opportunity to become very close, not just from overclocking in Ninja Lane, but in other ways. So we went to the concert, and the concert had three bands. So we started out with a company, uh, well, I guess a couple of guys out of Austin, Texas called Chant, and so I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture, and I want to talk about why, because technology has really affected live music in a lot of ways, and to tie that into our experience, uh, because this sort of music, sort of electrical, electronic industrial, is so dependent on technology, Chant is a really great example of a band that started out as one guy making music with uh, keyboards and computers, and he's a percussionist, so a uh, uh, a pretty impressive drum set.
0: Yeah, the, the, well, the music was very tribal.
1: Very tribal. That's a great description of it, actually, and I mm-hmm. think he'd be pleased that you use that. But the music was driving and solid, but in concert, he had a second percussionist who also worked the keyboard, and Maybe you'd agree with me, but it really felt like the keyboard was sort of a fill-in, the intros and the outros of the song. And-
0: well, yeah, the It was more of a like a mixing board sort of keyboard. So yeah. off to the side, he had two laptop computers set up, mm-hmm. and that, I believe, was driving the music to the point where it was kind of a client-server sort of situation, where the second guy was running the mixing and was able to cue up songs to start the, the beat. Because, you know, there was a, I want to say there was a four-piece sort of sound yeah because there was were, a lot of guitar there was a lot of bass there was
1: and they were playing to tape is what it used to be but of course these days you don't play to tape <laughs> you, well no you play to the to the recorded music and they were good and i would encourage you to go check this guy out as i have uh one of the things that i have to say is as i've grown older i've noticed that concerts the quality of the music the sound That you go to hear has really deteriorated. And it's sort of frustrating as a music aficionado to go to a concert and the knit is, you know, kind of a warehouse environment. So it's not the most acoustically correct building. Mm -hmm. But to see that bands, especially younger bands, with all this technology available, they produce really some amazing music. But in concert, it's very, well, it's not loud. It's like, you know, when you go downtown and you've got the guys with the really nice stereo systems in their cars, where everything sounds great and crisp, and then the guys that only care about the bass. And yeah, it's loud, but it's not the it's not the way the music was meant to be.
0: Right. Well, and one important thing that we should probably mention is that as music has evolved, you know, it started on, on wax, it started right. on records, and then it went to tapes, and then it went to CDs and DVDs. When it went to CD and DVD, it became digital. And at that point, the music was exactly the way that it was recorded. And you can replay it on high quality stereo system, high quality headphones, mm-hmm. and hear it the way it's supposed to be heard. But when you go to a place like the Knit, which is, um, you know, the industrial sort of warehouse concert hall, they didn't bring their own speakers, I don't think. I think they were using the house speakers. And you may be right. And at that point, you know, every weekend they're getting played on. So these are, they have to, the speakers are tuned to the room but when a band comes in they may not actually be able to tune to that sort of a room or to those sort of speakers where is vc a larger band like you know i've been to metallica four times now and uh they bring all of their own gear they don't use anything in-house and they were able to tune to that so and,
1: and to maybe reinforce that as I, I said one of the reasons that I found chant so intriguing and it was interesting to produce him is not just the driving tribal beat which reminded me of my early days of industrial with nitzer Ebb and, and front 242 even nine inch nails to some extent, but because he managed to be loud and driving and still pretty clean a very clear sound yeah and in contrast, The previous weekend, I saw Seven Dust and Lacuna Coil, both fairly big-name bands, and they were very much a sonic assault. But it was difficult sometimes to even recognize the songs as they started out because it was just so loud and so poorly mixed. So credit to Chant out of Austin, Texas. It's important to Austin, Texas if you want to find them on Google because Chant is so generic. (laughs) But the second band that played really personified what i would say is the classic four piece and you'd already mentioned this Mm -hmm. in this case legion within was the next band and they're kind of a, a rising band so they're in my pandora you can check them out and they're out of seattle so kind of a Big Pond local band for us, but they consisted of the classic setup. When we talk about a four-piece, you're talking about drums, bass guitar, uh, rhythm or lead guitar, and a keyboardist as your four. And in this case, Legion Within had a dedicated vocalist, so a five-piece. So very traditional setup, although
0: their keyboardist was a little more versatile. Yeah, he pulled up a guitar every once in a while, he did some drums back up, and then he was mixing in off of a laptop. So I enjoyed them, although
1: they're not my favorite. They kind of, to me, sounded like they were channeling sort of a modern gothic David Bowie sound.
0: Yeah, and I heard some people behind us talking about how, you know, he was trying to be a David Bowie, you know, with the way he was singing. Well, maybe. But, you know... uh, the music was good. I really liked it. The the mix was bad to the point where it was really hard to hear the vocals. Yes. It was very overpowered to it's really bass heavy. Mm-hmm. The guitar was really screechy. And and the
1: lyrics not so easy to discern and when you're trying to pick up a new band and for me I'd only heard one song from them and, and couldn't have told you what it was. Yeah. Um you, you know it was sort of disappointing but it it really marked again the difference between the technology from a traditional band with just a little bit of technology in it to a band that wouldn't have survived in chant without the technology. Mm -hmm. And of course that leads us to KMFDM and they're really a pioneer in the uh, electronic music having done it for so long and really keyboard sequence driven a drum machine. I mean, I almost wonder sometimes if the band is even necessary and they've always had a band, but I, you know, technology could make it, so I think he could do it by himself if he had to.
0: Well, definitely, but, you know, we have the, the girl who is the singer, mm-hmm. and, you know, you have to have those those vocals. Yeah. You know, and he actually does some backup vocals every once in a while.
1: Yeah, and I, and I guess, depending on who you'd ask, he's either the lead singer, or she is, or they share, and I think it kind of depends on what era of KMFDM you were introduced to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's see, how many times did you see him in concert? This
1: is my fifth time seeing KMFDM, and they were a band that I used to travel to when I was younger. Um, so maybe to background a little bit. I've seen Nine Inch Nails more, and I've seen Depeche Mode more, which gives you an idea of the type of music that i tend to listen to these days Mm -hmm. now living in idaho you get a little bit higher dose of country and classic rock so i've seen uh, a wide variety of bands but i still go back to my alternative and industrial roots
0: yeah so with uh we have kmfdm which is the kind of the the mix between highly technical industrial just verbatim out of a computer oh yeah and then mixed in with the the band aspect with the pieces and then we have Trent Reznor which when he goes on tour he has some people helping out but uh-huh. but the stuff that you buy off the shelf that's just him right so
1: Trent Reznor is a great example and that's that's Nine Inch Nails so Nine Inch Nails is a big enough band that most people are at least familiar with them but what you may not know is that Nine Inch Nails really is only one guy and that is Trent Reznor uh, unless he's on tour So Nine Inch Nails has been making music for a long time, a band that I really enjoyed because they kind of came out of the industrial era, and really capsulized, I guess, that teenage angst feel without being, I don't know, sort of whiny, emo-y like a lot of the bands seem to be today. Why does that make me sound old? (laughs) But, uh, you know... It was interesting to me when I first found out about him to find out that really all of his music was done with him and a series, maybe, of keyboards and drum machines. And then when Trent would go on the road and be Nine Inch Nails, he would hire a backing band. And over the years, some of these backing band members have become regulars and tour with him. And some of them have spun off into other bands. Filter is the classic example of that. Filter was for the most part, a Nine Inch Nails backing band. And when Trent stopped touring, they said, what are we going to do now? And they became Filter, another big time band.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh at the <laughs> concert, you were telling me about the first time you saw Trent in concert and uh, what he did with his equipment. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so I first saw Trent
1: Reznor way back when Pretty Hate Machine was about to come out. And I saw them at... I want to say it was Lollapalooza so he had his first signal out which was I had like a hole someone will correct me in the forums I'm sure if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure that's right but the album wasn't out yet and it was kind of getting passed everywhere. It was one of those, oh my gosh, have you heard this bands? So we kind of knew that it was going to be revolutionary, right. at least in the industrial space. And it really was, it brought industrial to the mainstream and that influence can be found in so many different types of music now. Um, and it really affected the urban rap and R&B scene too, because you found these driving industrial and themes in just all kinds of music. But, Trent Reznor when I first saw him perform performed as a solo act and and this will show you how long ago it was because he came out and he did keyboards and everything and it was kind of like watching some of the modern DJs in it you know I've seen like Orbital and Crystal Method bands that are 100% keyboard driven because of the type of music that they make and you expect one guy or two guys standing in front of a keyboard the whole show but based on what I'd heard it was sort of a surprise And he came out, (laughs) and what Dennis is talking about is what really amazed me is for a band that was so small, Trent Reznor's shit, because he would come out towards the tail end of the concert and his finale or his encore, he would destroy the keyboard in sort of a Jimi Hendrix mentality as the song ended. And really, giving you an idea of how the technology worked, his sequencers and everything would keep the music running, and he would do sort of a guitar solo on his keyboard. And then just beat the crap out of it. Keys flying into the audience, toss it on the ground and walk off like a modern rapper would drop the mic. And it really left a huge impression because here's a guy performing by himself at a bank of keyboards and he put on a show like a rock band and he walked off with that kind of performance where you're just like, wow, that was something special. And I wasn't the only one <laughs> because he got a huge.
0: Yeah. But, and I believe he does that with almost every one of his concerts. Oh,
1: geez. Yeah, it's crazy. And and it's become kind of something that he, he's known for in concerts. So if you haven't had a chance, uh, he's talking about getting the band back together this year and do another run as Nine Inch Nails because lately he's been doing a lot of side projects. And KMFDM, of course, lives on tour. So they're always out there somewhere. And I would encourage you, if you like a sonic assault that's very industrial driven. They really still sound the same as you remember. You may not recognize the songs, but this feeling, the the screaming German sort of wall <laughs> of sound is still intact.
0: And, and
1: it still just makes me young again when I'm there.
0: <laughs> and that's a good thing because, you know, you go, speaking more about technology, a lot of the new bands now are just one or two people. And you have a couple of laptops, and that's the way they do their DJ mix. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Dead Mouse, for instance, he does all electronica stuff, you very know, techno. Classic. Very yeah. classic. But I believe he's actually, you know, mixing tables, but on the MP3. Mm-hmm. Right? You yeah. Know? And then we have Little People, who has been nice enough to let us use some of his music in our intros and outros. That's right. The Ninja Lane podcast theme is Little People. Yeah. They do the intros for the extras and for the main podcast. It's just one person. I thought it was, you know, a. A guy and a girl, actually, but it's just one guy mixing off of his computer and and turntables. So
1: in a plug for them, they have a new album coming out and they're touring again, Little People. And one of the things that I like about them is the sonic scape that they put out is, is I think, sort of a mix between the modern electrical sound and more of a folky sound sometimes. But I'd encourage you also to go seek out his uh, videos because he does some really Really interesting avant-garde stuff that I find really fascinating.
0: Yeah, and he actually, well, and on top of that, he also asks his fans to submit samples, and yeah. he'll he'll mix those into the video. So some cool stuff. But you know,
1: I love a good concert, and I have found it just like I say to tie it up. Amazing how the technology has changed. I mean, it isn't a surprise to me at all that some of these bands that are up and coming really are one kid dinking around with a keyboard and a computer in his house and their music gets strong enough. It gets put out through YouTube or some of these music discovery channels. And the next thing you know, these guys are getting signed for contracts and they're getting big. And this is especially true in the electronic and dance music era. I mean, Dead Mouse is a great example. Uh, He really was making music just at home and sharing it for the love of it. And his stuff was good, good enough he got discovered. And it hasn't been that long since he came out and really said, I don't know what the big deal is. This stuff is not hard. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost embarrassing that I'm as popular and making as much money as I am because this is something anybody could do. Mm -hmm. And it really is true.
0: Yeah, you just have to know... How to put melodies together.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is not being afraid to experiment and just recognizing the technology is cheap, the software is cheap, and you can go out and make really anything you want to make. And that is something that wasn't possible back in the old days. You used to have to have a drummer, a keyboardist, you used right. to have to have talent around you. You used to not have the ability to even record and mix i remember when i first got into music the holy grail was getting a copy of a dat you know the dat mix of something because it gave you the ability to go home pull out a simple a track i bought at radio shack and separate the music into the original channels the bass channel the keyboard channel the drum channel and then you could (laughs) as the technology advanced really remix that at home and these days It's just easy. I mean, simple Google search will often find you an instrumental-only mix of a band you like, and people are making these remixes in their basement.
0: Yeah, well, and you also have, you know, people that are in bands that aren't doing anything that know how to make music, and they'll either copy it or make their own that's kind of in flavor of, and Mm -hmm. that's where the traditional artist comes in and creates something unique, but, you know, you don't necessarily have to have that.
1: Coming from my background, too, The other thing that I find so amazing is I love a good remix. And this is something that technology has made possible. People are collaborating. I mean, there are bands where the band members aren't even in the same country that are sending music back and forth. But to me, what is so amazing is a single artist can take the music from one band, completely remix it, it becomes almost a different song and release it just through pure technology. So to me... When I like a song, I seek out the 12-inch mixes, the remixes, the dance mixes, and some are really, really good, and some are really not. Yeah. But the the promise is there, and to me, it just speaks of a future where I wonder if the talent and the technology is making the traditional four-piece or five-piece band, you know, almost just a a special effect, just something you need for touring.
0: Well, that... Anymore with, you know, the digital sharing and, and whatnot, concerts are the only way that bands are making real money. So they really do have to start putting on a good show.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's a good point because I remember when bands made the majority of their money off of their tours mm-hmm. and for a while that wasn't true. And then to some extent, because of the file sharing, the peer-to-peer networks and the The ease of making a copy, you didn't just have to sit there with your tape deck and hope the song came on the radio. You could go seek it out, which means that some of that money is gone.
0: Yeah. Well, and not to, you know, stab at it here, but Metallica does a really good job with doing concerts. You know, they fill the concert hall all the time, but it's because they put on a really good show. You know, the Justice Tour, when they came to Boise, Mm -hmm. they sent a guy out a couple days early to go and film actual video in Boise. And one of the guys I worked with was fishing on the Boise river and he had a nice 10 second spot on this video that played <laughs> How cool. right as the band was coming out and getting set up, you know, and it faded into talking with the band members and they were doing, saying something I, you know, it's hard to remember now it's been so long, but as soon as the video got done, the screens, you know, the big TV screens, they started to fade to black, the house, the, the stage lights and rather stage lights came on and then the band started their first song and it was amazing. And you know, one of the famous songs, which was one, that's Mm -hmm. the one that, you know, made the Grammys and everything. Um, Seeing that in concert, you know, hearing it, you know, you hear the gunshots and everything going off, but seeing it in the concert, they actually had pyro effects going across the stage back and forth and it made it look like a real machine gun. But yeah. and, And on top of that, you know, they had the pit where, if you were walking around, you know, they had um, roadies out there and they would just invite you down there. And then you get to spend, you know, a song down in the pit and then they would pull you out and send you back to your seat. It was a great way to get to the stage without having to be in the mosh pit on the, you know, on the ground floor. And I wonder if
1: maybe that's why I love live music so much as I grew up in an era where the performance was so critical to making a band successful. the the concert experience was a level above. I mean, they weren't just going through the motions. I mean, there are top 40, you know, bands that put out number ones. Some of them never tour. Oh,
0: well, and that was during the age when record sales and the record companies were making everyone rich, but they controlled the distribution, and they didn't really necessarily have to go on tour. Well. You know, nowadays we got (laughs) technology and overclocking and, you know, Maybe one of these guys doing some electronica stuff will actually, you know, overclock with 3D Mark in the middle of one of his songs. and (laughs) Some liquid nitrogen going everywhere and get a nice little lighting effect off that. But, you know, until then.
1: Yeah, we're left with the music. So, folks, we love a good live band. And as you can tell, we listen to a wide variety of music. And that's what is so exciting about technology in general. I mean, I can remember a time when if it didn't play on the radio, you were lucky to know it existed, but now you can seek out that kind of music that can, you know, make a kid like me in Idaho, a huge electronic industrial fan That stuff doesn't play on the radio here at all. And it's just to me, so exciting to see the technology making that so possible music. I'm not really sure what the future of music is. Digital distribution, live concerts, maybe interaction with the fans? Who knows?
0: This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2012. Thanks for listening.
1: We do love our music here at Ninja Lane. (laughs) (laughs) All right.